Greetings and welcome to another episode of From John to Justin, where I look at every single Prime Minister from Sir Johnny MacDonald all the way up to Justin Trudeau. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can, for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can also support the podcast through a donation at CanadaEHX.com by clicking Donate. Don't forget, I have two other podcasts out there, Pucks and Cups and Canadian History X, available on all podcast platforms. In a 50-year period from 1896 to 1946, Canada had five Prime Ministers. There are the well-known ones of Sir Wilfrid Laurier and William Lyon Mackenzie King, the lesser-known R.B. Bennett, and then lost in the shuffle is one name most Canadians probably don't know, Arthur Meehan. While his time as Prime Minister, twice in fact, were not especially long, he did have a long career as one of Canada's leading politicians. The story of Arthur Meehan begins in Perth County, Ontario, where he was born on June 16, 1874. His family had a long history in the area, with his grandfather serving as the first schoolmaster for the village. Arthur would attend primary school in Anderson, Ontario, and high school at the North Ward Public School. His family moved closer to St. Mary's so he could attend high school there, and he excelled in school, earning first-class honours in mathematics, English, and Latin. He also excelled at debating with the School Debating Society. His home environment would instill many values in him, which he recollected as, quote, the immeasurable value of a sound education and the equally limitless and permanent importance of habits of industry and thrift. After high school, he attended the University College at the University of Toronto, earning a BA in mathematics in 1896. While attending the university, he met someone with whom his professional life would be tied to for decades, William Lyon Mackenzie King. Reportedly, the two men who would become rivals in the House of Commons did not get along well from the start. Later in 1897, Meehan returned to Toronto to earn his teaching qualification at the Ontario Normal College. Later that year, he was hired by the High School Board of Caledonia to teach math, commercial subjects, and English. The post did not last long as Meehan became involved in a bitter argument with the chairman of the board, whose daughter Meehan had disciplined. Meehan chose to resign and he moved west to Manitoba, working for the Winnipeg Business College. After unsuccessfully applying for a job as a principal in Lethbridge, he chose to commence legal studies. Those legal studies would come to fruition when he was called to the bar of Manitoba on February 2nd, 1903. In 1904, he would marry Isabella Cox, and together the couple would have two sons and one daughter. While in Manitoba, Meehan would become interested in real estate and would join the Young Men's Conservative Club, while also campaigning for the Conservative MP Nathaniel Boyd. Soon enough, he began to make a name for himself within the local Conservative Party, and he was known for his debating skills and sharp wit, allowing him to quickly rise up the party as a member. In 1908, at the age of 34, he was elected to the House of Commons, defeating John Crawford in the Portage la Prairie riding, where Crawford had represented for four years. This was especially impressive as Crawford was seen as a lock to win, riding on the coattails of Sir Wilfrid Laurier, who was still very popular in the country. In the end, Meehan won by 250 votes. At the time, the Conservative Party was still in the opposition as Sir Wilfrid Laurier and the Liberals led Canada. Meehan spent most of his time on the backbench and only made two speeches in his first term, 
but they were enough to catch the notice of Conservative leader Robert Borden. In 1911, Meehan was re-elected by a margin of 675 votes, and this time he was part of the governing party under new Prime Minister Sir Robert Borden. Meehan's wit and sarcastic speeches gained him a following in the back bench, and those around him saw him as a logical, informed, and principled. Among those who felt that Borden's government was aimless, he gained quite a following. When the Laurier opposition held up the government's naval aid bill, Borden turned to Meehan to find a solution. Meehan would urge the adoption of a form of closure that was operating in the British Parliament, and it was a way to implement the bill in the House of Commons without sparking a debate. Borden introduced the motion for closure on April 9, 1913, with the Liberals fighting it, but they were unable to, and it was passed two weeks later, only to be defeated in the Liberal-controlled Senate. Meehan's solution greatly impressed Borden, and on June 26, Meehan was the new Solicitor General of Canada. For the next four years, Meehan served in that position until he was appointed as the Minister of Mines and the Secretary of State in 1917. In his new role, Meehan was responsible for implementing conscription during the First World War, while also denying the right for opponents of conscription, typically immigrants, from being able to vote. At first, Meehan was seen as a progressive conservative, but before long he was noted for being one of the most conservative members in Borden's government. He was also a strong anti-communist, and many considered him to be quite xenophobic, based on some of the policies he worked on during his time in the cabinet. One example of this was his favouring of the rounding up and deporting of immigrants whose loyalty to Canada was considered to be suspect. He was also cold and ruthless as an administrator in any task he was working on. Borden became more impressed with Meehan and assigned him with negotiating a financial arrangement with the Canadian National Railway, which was about to go bankrupt and would have brought down a large bank and several provincial governments with it. Meehan would come up with a proposal that would provide a $45 million government guarantee of Canadian Northern bonds in return for a mortgage and a large share of common stock. The bill would pass and become law, and Borden rewarded Meehan with an elevation to a cabinet rank. Meehan would serve as the Minister of the Interior before the 1917 election that brought in Borden's new unionist government. The Union Party was formed as a result of the conscription crisis as a means to unite Conservatives and Liberals who supported conscription, to ensure an election win and push conscription ahead. Meehan would say, quote, We must not be afraid to lead. With the passing of the conscription bill, the Conservative Party would see its support in Quebec evaporate. For the next 50 years, support for the party was nearly non-existent in that province. Meehan was also prominent in dealing with cries of corruption from opponents with the implementation of the Wartime Elections Act, which was seen as gerrymandering by the Liberals and a noble act of patriotism by the Conservatives. The bill would remove the vote from citizens of enemy alien birth who had arrived to Canada after 1902, while giving the vote to female relatives of Canadian soldiers overseas. With that act, Thousands of people likely to vote Liberal were removed from voting lists, replaced with women likely to vote Conservative. In the House of Commons, Meehan would say, quote, War service should be the basis of war franchise. As the Minister of the Interior, Meehan was responsible for the largest piece of legislation ever enacted in the British Empire, the consolidation of several bankrupt railways into the Canadian National Railway Company. 
1918, Borden would take Meehan with him to England to attend the Imperial War Conference. Meehan would take time to visit Canadian troops at the front and also attend a meeting of the Royal Geographical Society. At that meeting, he would say, quote, Canada is British, never more British than now. With the end of the First World War, Meehan was given the task of assisting veterans financially who wanted to become farmers, and he was able to pass the act with support from all parties. The next task for Meehan would come in 1919 with the Winnipeg General Strike. At the time, he was the acting minister of justice and the senior member for Manitoba in the government of Borden. Meehan considered the strikers to be revolutionists looking to overthrow the constituted authority. He would approve the arrest of strike leaders and urged all foreign-born among the leaders to be deported. Once the strike had ended with force, Meehan enabled Section 98 amendments to the Criminal Code, which banned association with organizations deemed seditious. On June 17, 1919, Meehan sent a message to former Winnipeg Mayor A.J. Andrews regarding the trade unionists that were arrested, saying, quote, Notwithstanding any doubt I have as to the technical legality of the arrest and the detention at Stony Mountain, I feel that rapid deportation is the best course now that the arrests are made, and later we can consider ramification. By this point, the Conservative Party was disliked by unionists and laborers and farmers angry about tariffs and nearly everyone in Quebec. It was in this new atmosphere that Meehan found himself in a brand new role. In 1920, Meehan would see himself become the leader of Canada after the retirement of Sir Robert Borden. William Thomas White had been invited by the Governor-General to be the new Prime Minister, but he had declined, and this opened the door for Meehan to become the ninth Prime Minister of Canada. Upon his appointment as Prime Minister, his supporters lit bonfires outside the front of his house in Portage la Prairie, and since Prohibition was in effect, lemonade was served. The appointment was not greeted with enthusiasm by the Conservative Party, who while they respected his abilities and his gift for debating, they felt that Meehan was temperamentally unsuited for the role and handicapped by the policies he helped implement, including conscription and the response to the Winnipeg General Strike. Often the naysayers are proven wrong, but in this case, they were very accurate in their predictions. Meehan's first term as Prime Minister would only last a year and a half before the 1921 election. During that time, he would attempt to implement various changes, especially related to the United States. Meehan felt that the greatest threat to Canada's national existence was the economic power of the United States. In an attempt to deal with this, he advocated for a strong tariff system. Unfortunately, the Canadian economy was in a recession after the First World War, and this led to resentment towards the Conservatives, including Meehan. Another issue was that his government made it illegal for trade unions to contribute funds to Labour parties in Canada in 1921. The Toronto Labour Party would say about Meehan, quote, Whereas a government has been formed with Arthur Meehan as Premier, who is admittedly the greatest enemy of the trade unionists and working class have had to deal with since Confederation. In August of 1920, Meehan appointed a national organizer named William John Black, and a publicity bureau was established. He then launched on a countrywide speaking tour during the summer and fall. The crowds were often large and seemed to be receptive to him throughout the West. In Quebec, though, there was very little support for the party. Looking ahead to the coming 1921 election, 
Meehan took a moderate and consistent tariff protection path as his main theme. This included a trade treaty with France and the takeover of the Grand Trunk Railway. In June of 1921, Meehan went with his wife to London to the Imperial Conference. The British government was looking for a common imperial foreign policy as the dominions were beginning to grow more independent. Called the Peace Cabinet, the main topic was the Anglo-Japanese Alliance. For 20 years there had been a pact between the British Empire and the Japanese. Australia and New Zealand supported retaining the treaty. Meehan, in contrast, felt that renewing it would alienate the United States, and he recommended the termination of the alliance. Eventually, Meehan and others who supported his side would see the alliance be replaced with a multilateral agreement. While Meehan had this success, he came back to Canada to a situation that was getting worse. Meehan supported having a protectionist national policy, like had been seen in the days of Sir John A. Macdonald, and he did not distance himself from the previous Union government. Meehan was then ready to go to war in the election against the Liberals and Progressives that were growing in strength. He would say to a supporter, quote, The one unpardonable sin in politics is a lack of courage. As a government, we are in the impregnable position in point of both policy and of record, and I do not propose to make apology by act or word. On September 1, 1921, he would launch his campaign for re-election, but most political observers felt there was no way that the Conservatives could win. Despite this, Meehan implemented an aggressive election campaign, traveling the entire country by rail, automobile, and boat, delivering 250 speeches in the process. He defended conscription in Quebec, and he preached tariff protection in the West and championed public ownership of railways in Montreal. He also appealed to the one million women who could now vote, saying that it was the Union government that gave them the vote. He denounced King on issues such as railways and tariffs, he attacked the progressives on their class basis, and many cheered wherever he went. Even a newspaper in Quebec said he was a man of intellect and a great leader. By all accounts, the campaign was an incredible triumph. The election was a different story. The election would prove to be one of the worst defeats for a ruling party in Canadian history. William Lyon Mackenzie King and the Liberals gained 36 seats, finishing with 118. The new Progressive Party would cruise to second place with 58 seats, while Meehan and his Conservatives lost 104 seats, finishing with 49. Worse yet, Meehan lost his own seat in Portage la Prairie. Meehan would stay on as leader and won a by-election in 1922 in the Grenville riding in Ontario to remain in the House of Commons. The Progressive Party chose not to be the official opposition, resulting in Meehan becoming the leader of the opposition. Meehan called a meeting of his party and they unanimously endorsed his leadership, allowing him to stay in power as the leader of the party. As the leader of the opposition, Meehan was often at odds with King. Borden and Laurier had had a good relationship and a mutual respect for each other. Laurier even ensured a Liberal candidate did not run in a by-election after Borden lost his seat, allowing Borden to be acclaimed. That sort of relationship was not to be seen at all with Meehan and King. Both men had a distrust to the other, with Meehan often looking down upon King and calling him Rex, which was the nickname that King had at university. King saw Meehan as a high Tory who would destroy the social peace of the country. The rivalry and dislike between these two men is nearly unrivaled in Canadian history. Ironically, they shared many similarities. 
Both were born in 1874 in southern Ontario, both came from Presbyterian homes, and both were elected in the same year to the House of Commons. One of the biggest events for Meehan as a member of the official opposition was the crisis at Shanak. The situation began when Winston Churchill, the British colonial secretary, leaked to the press that the Dominions might be called upon to help the British forces at Shanak, Turkey. In Canada, Parliament was not in session and King refused to commit the country to military action without the approval of Parliament. He also felt the matter was not important enough to recall Parliament. Meehan condemned King for his statement and to reinforce his point he quoted Sir Wilfrid Laurier, the mentor of King, stating, quote, When Britain's message came, then Canada should have said, Ready, I ready, we stand by you. The crisis eventually faded without the need for Canadian help, and for Meehan, it hurt him in the eyes of Canadians, who saw him blindly in favour of the interests of Britain. In Toronto, his side in the issue was applauded, but in the West, and in Quebec, it was seen in a poor light. Luckily for Meehan, it was not long before King was dealing with scandal. This created an opportunity for the Conservatives to capitalize on the uneven performance of the government. He also pushed for a general philosophy to restore the pre-war social order and return to national policy level tariffs. After the Liberals won a big victory in the provincial election in Saskatchewan, Mackenzie decided the time was right for an election on the federal level. When the 1925 election came along, Meehan and his Tories won 115 seats, an increase of 66, while King won 100, dropping 18. The Progressive Party collapsed, losing 36 seats. The Liberals, having fewer seats than the Conservatives, looked to the Progressives for help as a coalition, giving them more seats and the ability to retain confidence in the House of Commons as the already sitting Prime Minister. Meehan was naturally livid over this and called King's holding of office to be like a lobster with lockjaw. King had accomplished this by promising to ease rural credit, investigate maritime rights, and reform the tariff system, although Meehan was celebrating as he regained his seat in Portage la Prairie. Governor General Bing felt that the Liberal Progressive Alliance was a corrupt bargain, and he felt that the Conservatives should have formed the next government, but there was no valid legal reason for refusing to allow King to remain as Prime Minister. Soon after the election, the Customs Department was beset in a scandal, and with a vote coming in the House of Commons that King thought he would lose, he asked the Lord Bing to dissolve the government and call an election. The previous election had been held on October 29, 1925, not long previous, and the Governor-General felt this was too short of a time between the elections, and also, looking at the fact that Meehan had a larger seat account, he refused the request. The incident had become known as the King-Bing Affair, and many debate who was in the right, King or Bing. King, in response, resigned as Prime Minister, leaving Canada without a government, and with the support of the Progressives, Meehan was asked to form a government by Lord Bing. Meehan then advised Bing to appoint Ministers of the Crown in an acting capacity only, which would not trigger automatic by-election ministers faced in accepting their appointments. King used this situation to mock the government and accused Meehan of acting irresponsibly by accepting Bing's appointment. The progressives then shifted their support to King and the government lost a vote regarding the ministers by one vote and Meehan was forced to call an election. King doubled down on attacking Meehan for accepting the appointment by Bing, decimating support of the Conservatives in several areas of Canada, especially the West. 
Meehan attacked King for the custom scandal and other things that he felt were issues among Canadian voters. In the election held on September 14, 1926, the Liberals cruised to 116 seats, while Meehan saw his party fall by 24 seats to 91. Meehan also lost his seat in Portage-la-Prairie again. Meehan and the Conservatives did win the popular vote by 100,000 votes, but that did not matter in the election. In all, Meehan's second time as Prime Minister lasted only three months. Upon the loss, the Manitoba Free Press and its Liberal editor, John Defoe, would state of Meehan, quote, To fight his way to the charmed government ranks in six years, to attain and hold against all comers the position of the first swordsman of Parliament, these are achievements which will survive the disaster of today. With the election and riding loss, Meehan resigned as Conservative Party leader on October 11, 1926. A new leadership convention was organized, and Meehan would run to be leader again, but he ended up losing to R.B. Bennett. After this loss, he moved to Toronto to practice law again, serving as the General Counsel for Canadian General Securities Limited. In 1929, the stock market crash nearly bankrupted the company, and Meehan would suffer a great deal of anxiety over it, since many investors had entrusted their funds to the company out of regard for him. From 1931 to 1934, he would serve as a member of the Hydroelectric Power Commission of Ontario. In 1932, Conservative Prime Minister R.B. Bennett appointed Meehan to the Canadian Senate, where he served as a leader of the government in the Senate and the Minister Without a Portfolio from 1932 to 1935. From 1935 to 1942, he served as the leader of the opposition in the Senate. In 1941, with the Conservative Party in disarray, Meehan was asked to become leader once again during the Second World War. He accepted the unanimous vote on November 13, 1941, and campaigned in favour of overseas conscription. King would write in his diary of the re-emergence of Meehan, quote, I am getting past the time when I can fight in public with a man of Meehan's type who is sarcastic, vitriol, and the meanest type of politician. At the time, Meehan's two sons, Ted and Max, were serving in the Second World War, and he would write, quote, I never knew what a human longing was until separated by war from the sons I love so much. I sit in my office just gazing on the folders with its two photos. The fact his sons were fighting in the war pushed him to launch blistering attacks against the Liberals and to push for conscription as a Conservative Party platform. In order to lead the party, he resigned from the Senate on January 16, 1942, and he ran in York South for a seat in the House of Commons during a by-election. The Liberal Premier of Ontario, Mitchell Hepburn, actually gave his support, which would eventually end his own premiership of the province, and did not help me in much. The practice since the early 20th century was for the ruling party not to run anyone against the official opposition member in a by-election, and King abided by that, sort of. Instead of having a Liberal run against Meehan in the by-election, he put campaign resources into the Cooperative Commonwealth's Federation candidate, who ended up beating Meehan in the February 9, 1942 by-election as a result. The CCF had portrayed Meehan as a man of yesterday, and a tool of big financial interests. Meehan would never again take a seat in the House of Commons, and he would approach Manitoba Premier John Bracken about becoming the leader of the party. After 1945, Meehan would have very little interest in politics. 
Meehan then went back to practicing law in Toronto and died of heart failure on August 5, 1960. He was given a state funeral and then buried at St. Mary's where he had lived as a child. His 33 years and 315 days between his last day as Prime Minister and his death was a record until January 12, 2014, when Joe Clark passed him. While the Imperial Conference was a great moment in Meehan's career, it was in domestic rather than international affairs that he chiefly made his mark, and especially as the greatest House of Commons man of his day, according to some, the greatest in our history. One of his admirers from the vantage point of the press gallery was Grant Dexter, correspondent for the liberal Winnipeg Free Press. Meehan, in an outstanding way, was the greatest parliamentarian I've ever watched and listened to. Uh, he was uh, far and away beyond King. King had his moments, but Meehan was always great, and he was always great because not only was he easily the most eloquent man I have ever listened to, but because he had this, this tremendous capacity to completely master any subject that he addressed his mind to, and however complicated it might be, he had the ability to present it, the ability to present it uh, in the House of Commons in the most simple, lucid, unchallengeable, un-get-aroundable fashion. Another who watched Meehan in action in the Commons was Eugene Forsey. Dr. Forsey enumerates the qualities that made Meehan preeminent in the House. First, an intellect crystal clear. That was why, as one old friend said of him, he never spattered the target. Second, a memory second only to Macaulay's if that, comparable only to Macaulay's. When he was well over 80 and complaining uh, that he couldn't remember things as he used to, he quoted to me word for word and without an instant's hesitation a long passage from Laurier's tribute to Alexander Mackenzie in the House of Commons in 1892. Third, he had an unsurpassed capacity for hard work. He never spoke without having mastered his subject. Fourth, the product of these three, he had a, an encyclopedic and exact knowledge of the myriad subjects which Parliament had to deal with. Fifth, he had a mastery of the English language, equaled only, perhaps, in our time, by Sir Winston Churchill. With these endowments, naturally, he had no need of ghostwriter or manuscript, those twin curses of contemporary public speaking. It is not surprising, in view of his surpassing talent as a debater, that Meehan aroused not only resentment but fear among his parliamentary opponents. Grant Dexter was one of those who observed the one-sidedness of these verbal encounters. Meehan would uh, carry his controversial speech to the point where he really infuriated the liberals. Mackenzie King actually would sort of bow over his desk, bow over his desk, and and you could see the blood coming up his neck from the press gallery, that is, and his neck would swell, and you could see that he was just furious. So the members would be the same. 
and they would begin to mutter and uh, growl. Nobody would say anything. And me and I've seen him many times. He would stop in the course of his speech and say, you're growling over there. Now, anybody there, speak up. Say anything you want to speak. Ask anything you want to ask. If you have anything to say, say it. Don't behave like your ancestors did 10 million years ago. And not one would say a word. They just wouldn't expose themselves to this. This was the power of the man. Despite his short time as Prime Minister, Meehan has been honoured extensively in Canada. A stamp was issued in 1961, and that same year he was designated as a National Historic Person. Two schools, one in Portage la Prairie, and his former high school are named for him. Mount Arthur Meehan in the Caribou Mountains was named for him, as is an island in the Arctic. In a ranking of the first 20 Prime Ministers in Canadian history, Meehan ranked 14th. I will close out this episode with a quote from Meehan, which he said at the farewell tribute of R.B. Bennett in 1939, saying, quote, There are times when no Prime Minister can be true to his trust to the nation he has sworn to serve, save at the temporary sacrifice of the party he is appointed to lead. Loyalty to the ballot box is not necessarily loyalty to the nation. Political captains in Canada must have courage to lead rather than to follow. I hope you enjoyed this episode from John to Justin, and if you did, please leave a rating and review. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can visit my website where you'll find hundreds of articles on Canada's history as well as all my podcast episodes. Just go to canadaehx.com. And again, you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash canadaehx, just like all of these wonderful patrons have. And I apologize if I mispronounce any names. Diane Wade, Lori Ann Kirby, Gary Dolovich, Nick Zinri, Pamela Elder, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Chauve, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Rois, Luke S., Vic Hedges, J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. As well, you can find me on Facebook. Just search for Canadian History X. Remember, that's E-H-X. I'm on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. And don't forget, you can find me on Instagram. Just search for Bairdo37. Information comes from Canadian Encyclopedia, Britannica, The Canadian Guide, Biography, Wikipedia, Memorable Manitobians, All My Life and Autobiography, If Walls Could Talk, and Portage la Prairie. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time.